Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, just so grateful for the work you're doing in our lives, in our church body, Lord, and just at the world at large, Lord. You're such a good God. We pray that you would meet us here this morning, that you would continue that process of transformation in our lives, drawing us to you, Lord, making us more and more like you. So again, we just ask, meet us here. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, we, um, by we, I mean my kids and I, we watched Harry and the Hendersons. You guys remember that movie? It came out in the 80s. Um, remember, it's a, a family. They're up in an in index area, and they hit a Sasquatch. Remember when they bring it home and ends up becoming a part of their family? And it's kind of cool because it was filmed in, in Ballard and in Wallingford and up in index and areas that we're familiar with. And, um, and it's just a good movie. But I was thinking about that, being from the Pacific Northwest, you know, Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, they've sort of become part of our cultural mythology, haven't they? I mean, we don't really believe in Bigfoot most of the time, right? But, you know, when you're out in the woods alone and there's a strange strange rustling in the trees, what if? Where's my gun? You know, and... Then a little gray squirrel pops out. No, it's fine. It, it wasn't Bigfoot after all. And, you know, people have kind of perpetuated the myths with these grainy photos and fake footprints in the mud. And, and, you know, and all kinds of regions have their own little mythologies, don't they? Right? If you're from down south or Mexico, they have the chupacabra. And all, so many different, I, I don't know, that might be real, the chupacabra. But, um. But around the world, there's so many interesting stories and mythologies. Well, sometimes I think that skeptics try and clump our faith in with these different mythologies. And we see Peter here in the last six verses of, of 2 Peter chapter 1 kind of addressing this. And, and by the way, today's lesson is going to be a little short. It was either going to be finish chapter 1, it'll be a little short, or get into chapter 2, and it's going to be really long. And so I had mercy on you guys and I went for option 1. So we're just going to look at six verses today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, for this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. I remember in high school English, I think it was probably ninth grade, I had uh, Miss Eisenbeiser. And we had this um, section on mythology. And we had to read Beowulf. And uh, I, I don't think we read the whole thing, but we looked at sections of, of the Iliad. And we looked at 
Greek and Roman mythology, and there's also a little section on the Bible, right? Genesis, the creation account was in there, and I think um, Gen- uh, 1 Corinthians 13 was in there as well. And, and it was interesting to me, and I was a believer at the time, it was interesting that they chose to clump in the Bible in, in the mythology section. And, and as I said, that's kind of how skeptics are. They kind of clump our faith in with Zeus and with Artemis and Apollo and the Loch Ness Monster and Yeti and the Chupacabra and Jesus, right? But Peter here in 2 Peter 1 says, look, guys, that's not the case. We are not just following cleverly devised myths. Peter says, when we told you about Jesus, it wasn't just some some story that we cooked up. We weren't just sitting around the picnic table drinking one night and said, hey, let's make up a new religion. See how many people we can get to follow it. And truth be told, if they did make it up, they did a pretty poor job, didn't they? Let's make up a religion where we're all going to suffer terribly and probably die. Right? Let's make up a religion where the leader gets brutally murdered in the most humiliating way possible and encourage everybody else to follow that example. Let's invent a new faith system that's going to keep us in poverty for the rest of our lives until we're finally killed. Let's make a religion that doesn't make any sense at all. Right? That's, that's, it's ludicrous. Peter says, look, the things that we told you The things that we communicated to you, we were there. He says, we were eyewitnesses. And I like the term Peter uses. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I imagine Peter's probably thinking through all the different scenarios, right? You know, I was there on that terrible night when when that storm blew through and we were out on the Galilee. When, when the waves were, were crashing over the edge of the boat and we were about to go under. I was there and I looked over and I saw Jesus asleep in the bottom of the boat. I said, wake up, Lord. Don't you care that we're all going to die? And you know what Jesus did? He stood up and said, peace be still. And instantly, the storm calmed. The waves rolled flat. The moon came out. You can imagine Peter was always retelling these stories. Another time I was out fishing with the guys, and guess who came strolling across the water? It was Jesus. And guess who got out and walked with them? He probably left out the part about sinking under. And I think specifically here, Peter is pointing to the incident that we see in Matthew chapter 17, in Mark and Luke 9. And we often refer to it as the Mount of Transfiguration. But remember, Jesus, right, he had disciples. Sometimes he had large numbers of disciples. Sometimes that that number shrank depending on how offensive his message was that week. Right? But he had the 12, the apostles that were always with him. Matthew, John, Judas, Thomas, etc. But within the 12, remember, He had three guys that he was especially close to. Remember who they were? Peter, James, and John, right? 
And in this account in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and it says that he was transfigured before them. And as we, we've heard the story so many times, I think it's sort of easy to read that and assume that that was Jesus' plan all along. I'm going to go up the mountain and start to glow. But I don't know that that was the case. Last weekend, Elias and Silas and Isaiah and I, we went on a hike up to Heather Lake. And I think I might have mentioned this last week. But we got there, we went to the trailhead, and we parked, and it was nice and sunny. And we started to hike up, and as we started to hike, it started to rain. And it wasn't a big deal because, you know, we had rain jackets on. And as we got higher up the elevation, the rain turned to snow. And there was a lot of snow on the ground. There was, there was probably two feet of snow on the ground. And it was just dumping snow. And so we get up there to, to Heather Lake, and um, it's snowing so hard, and it's foggy. We couldn't really see anything. We lit a little fire and roasted some hot dogs on sticks and had these disgusting little MREs that we ate. And... Um, you know those little, we didn't bring any water. We brought those little life straws, you know, that you put in the stream and suck through the filter. And um, and then on the way back down, and everybody had a blast, except for Silas, maybe. Silas, at one point, he laid down. I can't go anymore. <laughs> but, you know, on the way back down, and it, the, all that snow and rain, it turned the trail just into a, a stream. And we got at the bottom, and we were just soaking wet. We all had a blast, and there was a ton of memories made that day, and we didn't go with the intent to make memories. You know, we, we were planning a long hike this summer, and so we're kind of training, and so we went out to do some training as, as a family and, and just have a good time, and I think that, that the same might have been here true in Matthew chapter 17. I don't know that Jesus was was leading the guys up to the mountain so they could have this great, momentous event. I think Jesus and the guys might have just been going for a hike. Jesus might have just wanted to, to spend some time with his guys. And that was the time that the Father chose to move in this amazing way. And you remember what happened. As I said, Jesus he starts to glow. And think about how crazy that would have been to the disciples. Right? They didn't have TV or movies. They didn't have CGI. They'd never seen anything that wasn't real. And I think that we, we see so much in movies that maybe we get desensitized to how amazing some of these things in Scripture are. Now, Jesus was glowing, but I saw Iron Man 3. Pepper Pot did the same thing. And we forget that those things aren't real. And that that was the worst Marvel movie ever made. But this whole event would have been shocking to these fellows, right? In Matthew 17, 2, it says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. For guys who had never seen anything before like that, imagine what that would have been like. Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes blazing white. And then what happens? Moses and Elijah appear. And what was that like? Was it like 
Star Trek transporter beam? Or do they just walk out from behind a tree? I don't know. But this is an amazing holy scene. Jesus transfigured. Moses, who represented the law, shows up. Elijah, who represents the prophet, show up. And so naturally, Peter speaks up. Sure is a good thing that we're here, Lord. Maybe we should build some tents. Some of your translations say shelters or booths. Now, everyone here who was ever a little boy knows exactly what Peter's saying. He's talking about building forts, right? says, hey, maybe we should build some forts. We'll build you one, Jesus. We'll build Moses one. We'll build Elijah one. It's going to be a great time. You ever wonder what Jesus and Moses and Elijah must have thought at that point? Did they all kind of just turn to Peter and look at him like, what? Why? Why do we need forts, Peter? What can we possibly use a tent for right now? And about that time, it says, a bright cloud passed over him. And a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What's the Lord saying? Peter, shut up. Pay attention. And about that time, Peter, James, and John, they all fall on the ground, terrified. And we kind of see this theme throughout scripture, don't we? Whenever people have a legitimate experience with God, terror is very often the response. John in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus showed up, says he fell on the ground like he was dead. Being in the presence of the Almighty, and I don't mean in, you know, God is omnipresent kind of way, but being in the presence of God in a physical sense, in Scripture, it seems like it always strikes heart, it, fear into the heart of, of, of sinful men. His majesty and his, and his splendor and his holiness are just too much for us sinful mortal men to bear. And the disciples here, they, they fall on the ground. And Jesus says, it's okay, guys. Rise and have no fear. And they get up and look around, and everyone's gone. Moses is gone. Elijah's gone. The cloud's gone. Jesus isn't sparkling anymore. Just normal Jesus. And they head back down the mountain, and Jesus says, hey, guys, let's just, just kind of keep this on the lowdown for a while. Let's just keep this to ourselves. After I rise from the dead, you can tell people what you saw here today. And so that's the event primarily that Peter is, is addressing in verses 16 through 18. Peter says, look, these aren't just some, some stories that we made up. We were there, Peter says. We, with our own eyes, we saw Moses. We saw Elijah with our own ears. We heard the voice of the Father speaking from heaven. And you know, this isn't in the text, but let me add that all the apostles, except for John, died for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. You know, Thomas was, Thomas was skinned alive. I mean, horrible death. 
The only one that wasn't martyred for his faith, according to church history, was John. And they tried to. right? They boiled him in oil, but he wouldn't die. He just kept floating to the surface, so they exiled him to Patmos. And at any point, any one of them could have saved their lives. They could have said, you know, hey, hold on. We just made this story up. It was just a cleverly devised myth. But they were so convinced of the things that they had seen and heard, the things that they had experienced with Jesus, that without question, they were willing to die for. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Let me make two points here, okay? First, Peter has just finished talking about what? His experiences. Specifically, his experiences there on the mountain. And, and those, those experiences where he was in the presence of God, they were great. But Peter says, look, the word of God is even better than that. The word of God is more trustworthy than our experiences are. Peter says, man, we've, we've experienced some amazing things in our time with Jesus. We experienced amazing things after he left, after the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost, and, and these miracles and these healings and all this stuff. He says, but we trust in the written, revealed word of God even more than in our experiences. We judge our experiences by his word, not the other way around. Too many people judge the word of God by their experiences. And listen, the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's infallible. It's unchangeable. It's eternal. We judge our feelings and our opinions and our experiences on what the Word of God says. So many people reject the clear teaching of God. You know, I just, well, I don't like that part. I don't agree with this. I feel like, look, without being too offensive, who cares? Who cares what you think? Who cares what my opinion is? Right? Who are we to think, that we can look at God's word and say, well, I don't like that part. I choose not to believe that. Isn't that really, that's the height of arrogance, isn't it? Us down here shaking our tiny little fists at God. I disagree with you. I don't like that part. Man, I think you've heard the expression, you know, we know two things. Number one, there is a God. And number two, you're not him. Right? I, I disagree with the Bible. Fine, you can disagree, but you're wrong. Not God. 
not the scriptures. If you pit yourself and your emotions and your opinions and your feelings against God's word, in the end you will lose. Because God's word is eternal. And it will always prevail. The word of God is like a rock. Lost man can use it to, to, to build a foundation upon, or he can be broken upon. But it is unchanging. And the second point, and this probably should have been the first point, you know, why? Why do we believe? Why do we trust that the word of God is true? And we talked a while back about the amazing prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and, and, and the very specific ways that he did it. And I'm not going to go into that very much this morning, but there are over 300 very specific prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled concerning his lineage, concerning his place of birth, where he would grow up, the nature of his birth, how he would die. There's overwhelming evidence that Jesus is who that he says that he is. And remember the statistic we looked at at one point, that Jesus fulfilling just eight of those prophecies, the chances of that happening by, by random chance were one in ten to the 17th power. That's one in ten with 17 zeros. That's a, you see it up there on the screen, that's a big number. The chances of just 48 of those prophecies coming true out of the 300 is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I, you can count them. That's 157 zeros. I, I count it as I poke the zero every time. It's overwhelming. Peter says, look, we have all this evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. by the fulfillment of prophecy. He says, to which you would do well to pay attention. You're talking to kids, huh? I tell my kids that all the time. You better pay attention. He says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises up in the west. Peter says, look guys, if you light a lamp it illuminates everything around it. In the same way, the truth of prophecy illuminates who Jesus is. And this word here, morning star, the Greek word is phosphorus. That's where we get the English word phosphorus. And it was actually the name of the planet Venus in Greek. But that word phosphorus, morning star, it literally means the light bringer. And I like that. That we have the word of God confirming who Jesus is. The light bringer. And it holds us over, it says, until the day dawns. Until the final light bringer, Jesus, is finally revealed in our hearts when we're standing in his presence. To me, that's just such, such cool imagery there. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Again, Peter says, look, these things, these prophecies, they weren't just written by, by some guy, right? They didn't originate in the hearts of men. You know, I, I'm not a creative person. And I'm always amazed by creative people. When people can sit down and, and, and draw a picture, or people can sit down and write a song, or people can sit down and just pen a poem, or people can sit down and, and write books. You know, I, I like to read. I like to read, you know, sci-fi, and I like to read suspense books and stuff. And it's amazing just the, the creative plot twists that people can think up. Peter says, look, that's not what's happening here. This isn't just some creative people who sat down and wrote the Bible. They weren't creative geniuses. They were men who were inspired by God. He says they were not written by the will of men. And then he uses this kind of cool word picture here. He says the men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the imagery there is a ship with its sails unfurled, being pushed along by the wind. Right? If you're in a sailboat and there's no wind, what happens? Nothing happens, right? The sail is just limp and nothing happens. And, and Peter says that's kind of how it works. But when the Spirit is blowing through, carries along the writers of Scripture, empowering them, moving them to write the things that they wrote. And, and that's what Paul is alluding to in 1 Timothy 3.16. Older translations say something like, Scripture was given by the inspiration of God. But most of your newer translations say something like, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that's actually a much, a much more accurate rendering. The Greek word there is theonoustos. God breathed, right? Theo means God, and new means to blow. It's where we get the word pneumatic, right? If you're talking about a pneumatic tool, what are you talking about? An air-powered tool, right? It's where we get the word pneumonia from. It's sort of that, that idea there, that Scripture is it's breathed out by God into the hearts of the writers of Scripture. So Peter here, he's really laying the groundwork for chapter 2. In chapter 2, he's going to begin to talk about false teachers. He's going to talk about opposing false teaching and, and false doctrine within the church. And, and that's why he's taking so much time in chapter 1 to belabor the point about the scripture here. Because it's our basis of truth. Scripture is the truth by which we judge everything else. Right, when I stand up here week after week, just blathering on with silly sci-fi references and dumb jokes and stories about my childhood, right? You need to judge everything that I say by the revealed word of God. And if I say something that doesn't line up with the word of God, disregard it. And if I keep on doing that, leave. Go to another church. Find a church that accurately teaches the word of God. Remember what Paul told the church in Ephesus, Acts chapter 20? Right? Paul had been there for a good while teaching the people. And as he's getting ready to leave, he gathers the elders together. And in verse 27 he says this. 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And and we're going to touch a little more on that passage next time when we look at false teachers. But Paul says, look, I didn't didn't shrink back. He says, I didn't hesitate. He says, "I, I taught you guys the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, you know, that's not always easy. Because as we, as we do that, there's, there's topics that we don't want to address. There's topics that, 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 that pit us against popular culture. And it would be really easy just to glide over those things. But Paul says, I didn't do that. Because this is the word of God. And I didn't hesitate. I didn't shrink back. I taught the truth no matter what the cost. And we see there in Ephesians, or in Acts, that the church in Ephesus, they received the truth. And so I think that there are two parts to this. We have the truth. We have the revealed word of God. And it's the part of my job and other pastors and other Bible teachers to accurately teach the truth. And your job is twofold. Your job, number one, is to make sure that I really am teaching the truth, right? That means you have to study the Bible on your own. That means that you have to know the Word of God. That means you have to to dig in and research. You know, the pastor said this on Sunday, and and that kind of sounded a little off to me. Let me check up on that. Remember uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul commends the Bereans. In verse 11 he says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul says, look, I got there and I I taught the word of God. And they were so excited to listen to my Bible study. But they didn't just accept it. They would go home and they would research and they would read the Bible themselves and make sure that the things that I was teaching them were were accurate and true to the scriptures. The second thing that you guys are responsible for is this. After I teach and after you see that the things that I'm saying agree with scripture, your job is to live it out. Your job is to do it. Your job is to make the scriptures real in your life. Don't shrink back from allowing the scriptures to transform you. Don't shrink back from allowing scriptures to to guide you and to direct your lives. Otherwise, frankly, you're just wasting your time. You could be home watching sports or out hiking or doing whatever. The author of Hebrews, he uses this phrase again in chapter 10, verse 39. He says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He says, we are not of those who shrink back. We boldly embrace our faith and the trials that come with it, knowing that that faith is able to preserve our souls. And so here's your exhortation this morning. Dig down and study the word of God. 
and hide it away in your heart. And as we close, you know, if you don't know the Lord this morning, he has revealed himself to us through the word of God, through the Bible. And I encourage you to get to know him. Get to know yourself through the lens of Scripture. See what the Word of God says about Jesus and about us and how we relate. And when you're ready, call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and adopt you into the family of God. And you know, it, it really is that simple. Believe that the word of God is true. Believe what it says about Jesus. Believe what it says about you. And repent of your sins. Call in the name of Jesus and be saved. We're going to close this morning and continue to worship. And if anybody needs prayer, I'll be available on the side. If anybody, if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you, let this be the day. Let this be the day when you receive his word and let it transform you and become that person that God desires you to be. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for, for the evidence that you've given us in Scripture, Lord, that, that our faith isn't a blind faith, Lord, that we have evidence of the things that we believe. And Father, we pray that you would just help us to embrace the truth of your word, that we wouldn't shrink back, that we would press into, into the calling that you have given us. And again, we just pray for anyone this morning who doesn't know you, that you'll continue to work in their life, that you'll continue to draw them to yourself and transform them. We ask that in your name.